this week is from 2 Chronicles chapter 28, as well as from 2 Kings 16 and Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to be looking at uh, portions of all those chapters, not all the chapters in their entirety, regarding King Ahaz, the king of Judah. This is part two. So we're going to do a little review, get a little caught up on what we discussed in part one. Uh, king Ahaz is here in the pink. Uh, Several hundred years from King David, he's king of Judah, so in the southern tribes. And he's right towards the end of the northern tribes of Israel uh, in, um, in, in their history before Syria comes and takes them captive. Okay, so review, 2 Kings 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, king of Israel, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Okay, and so we just saw that during the time of Pekah in the north. King Ahaz begins to reign over Judah. In 2 Chronicles 28, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord. He made images for the Baals as the kings of Israel did. That's very sad and very unfortunate. His father was a good king, uh, and he comes along. His grandfather was a good king, too, and he comes along and was not a good king, and even goes and starts worshiping the Baals, like the northern tribes are doing, and they're having all kinds of problems, and he's following in their footsteps. Back to Second Chronicles 28, verse 5. Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. So Syria comes in and causes problems, and then also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel. The two different nations, northern tribes, Israel, as well as Syria coming in and attacking him, who defeated him with a great slaughter. Perpekah killed 120,000 in Judah in one day. All valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Yeah, tremendously high number, unbelievably high number, 140,000. We don't even see that in wars today. Uh, and that is in one day. Uh, I mean, just so amazing. Plus, how many, there was a bunch taken captive. And again, that's all in review for us here. In 2 Kings 16, verse 6, at that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Eleth for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Eleth. Uh, and the Edomites went into Eleth and dwell there. Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria saying, I am your servant and your son. Save me from the king of Syria and the king of Israel who rise up against me. So again, he's got these two kings attacking him. So he sends notice to the king of Assyria asking for help. I'm your son. I'm your servant. Come and help me. Second, king, second Chronicles 28, verse 16. At the same time, King of Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. So we're seeing some overlapping there between those two books. For again, the Edomites attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also invaded Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Aelon, uh, Kedarath, Suchoth, Timnah, and Gizmo, and they dwelt there. So we're now another invasion. So he's got Israel from the north, Syria from the north, and now Philistines from the south coming in, so again, some overlapping between the two books and some addition being added in there. So he's having tons of problems going on. 
Verse 19, for the Lord brought Judah low because of King Ahaz. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. So as a direct result, the Bible writers are saying, as a direct result of this king and his disobedience and in leading the people to moral decline, the leader has a lot to do with the state of the people. Tragic. So the people are following suit and it's causing this moral decline in the nation and it's causing calamities to take place. From the top down. Very important lesson for us today as a nation, as a world, as a congregation, as families. Very important for the leader to have moral discipline, high moral standards according to the word of God. Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Syria. But he did not help him. So he calls to the king of Syria, help me, help me, these two Syria and Israel are attacking me. Take these treasures from the Lord's house, and from his own house, and from the people. Send them to Syria. They take the money, but they don't really help him. Horrible situation. Tragic what's going on. Now he's pulling out his hair. He's getting old real fast. All the stress. Pack on every side. He's hoping for an ally. is not helping him. Worshipping the Baals. Sacrificing his son. The Baals burning them. Horrible. One of the, we read one of the nations of Israel. I think Israel came in. And one of the sons gets killed and his Second in command gets killed. Many taken captive, many killed, his valiant men killed. Now, in the time of his distress, we were just reading about all this distress, and we read it very quickly. We can't imagine. I don't know if any of us has been in a position to have that much responsibility and that much on your shoulders and having that much calamities. He only reigned 16 years. This is somewhere within that 16 years. That much calamity taking place and happening. Horrible, horrible, horrible. So while he's going through all this stress and all this disaster, all these problems, all these sores, one after another, tremendous heartache. In the middle of all this distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. How sad. How sad. God spared his life. Again, that guy who got into the, to the, to the throne area there, killed his son, killed his second in command, and, and one of the chief officers there, no doubt, was trying to kill the king. God spared the king's life, trying to get his attention. Got his attention, but instead of surrendering to the Lord God, his father and his grandfather, and all the way back to King David, Instead, he turned further away from the Lord. I mean, how much further can you get? You're worshiping the Baals and, and, and sacrificing your sons on the, on the altar, burning them there. Becomes even more unfaithful to the Lord. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Sometimes we see that today. 
people running from God. God tries to get their attention. Might use you or me or calamities or blessings. And instead of heeding, run even further. Get deeper into sin. Deeper into the same things that made their problems to begin with. Deeper in debt, deeper into drugs, deeper into alcohol, deeper into promiscuity, deeper into rebellion against God, deeper into the things of this world, deeper into workaholism or um, anger, angrier and abuse, whatever the issue is. It just increases. And they blame God for their problems. They curse God. Amazing, one of the curses that's used in this country by many people who don't believe in God at all or don't worship God at all, and yet they'll just flippantly say that God damned this or God damned that. They blame Him for it. They don't say, Oh, God bless this morning. Look, the sun is out, or Oh, we needed the rain, and God bless this. But quick to blame calamities on Him, <coughs> even as they profess not to believe in Him. Here, King Ahaz sent even further from the Lord. Ahaz went to Damascus to meet the king of Assyria, and he saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to the Uriah the Kohen the design of the altar, and Uriah the Kohen built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. And Ahaz made offerings on them. That's out of 2 Kings 16, verse 10 and 11. He sees this far, sees this altar of Damascus. He says, oh, I'll make an altar like that. That's beautiful. And he ends up putting it into the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. He moves the altar that God had placed that Solomon built. He moves that. He places this altar there. He begins sacrificing to the gods of Damascus. Foolish. And he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And people do that today, literally selling their soul to the devil. Some not realizing, some realizing exactly what they're doing. They're very good thing on rock and roll and how many of the beginning people in rock and roll literally knew what they were doing and sold their souls in prayer to the devil. Help me, make me become famous. And knew what they were doing. Other people don't realize what they're doing, but going down that same path in rebellion against God, making wrong choices, following the ways of this world. Disobedience to God's clear word. Which God in this country is blessed that we have everywhere and every opportunity to read it. We've got audio versions and everything else. And yet, the majority in this country and the world are rejecting that opportunity. And instead, wanting to hear it secondhand at that listening to fables, following the lust of the flesh and the lust of the, the pride of life and the lust of the eye. 
following your own inclination, rebellion against God, thinking, oh, this will help me. And it might for a time. The devil will lead us on for a time. And then cause our ruin. A disaster in the end. Any of those same rock and roll soap, you know, stars, or idols, died young, died tragically. Satan doesn't care to destroy us. There's only one that loves us. The Lord God Almighty, the Creator. The only one who will be good to us and good to us to the end. He has gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Stop the people from being able to worship. Cut up these things. Sent them off to King of Syria, the King of Assyria. Worse and worse into 16 years of moral decline and disaster. How rapidly things can change. In every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his father. God sees. God knows what's going on. God will have the last day. King, he started at 20. He only reigned 16 years. He only lived 36 years. Right, we've seen others reign for 52 years. I think it was his grandfather, great-grandfather, reign for 52 years, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord for 52 years. It was a long, healthy life. Most of the good kings lived long and reigned long time. Almost all of the ones, the wicked ones, reigned a very short time, relatively, comparatively. The devil will let us lie for a while. At the end, it's disaster. Now, it came to pass, now in Isaiah, let's look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. Parallel to the sign of time period. Now, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against him. Exactly what we've been reading, right? In the Second Chronicles and the Second Kings. So Isaiah is right at this time, and he's describing the same exact time. It's interesting. Isaiah does not mention anything other than here Jotham as that Ahaz is his son. No, he reigned uh, for how many years, but he reigned and he did what was right in the side of the Lord. But Isaiah doesn't talk about him. And Isaiah reigned and talks about the day that uh, the year that that King Uzziah died, and so. Isaiah was prophesying and a prophet all through that time, but he didn't talk about Jotham. But look at how much is spent on in the Bible about, about this king Ahaz. Because Ahaz did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord, and Jotham did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So the Bible doesn't mention any, much about it. But there were years and good years. Verse 2. But they could not prevail against it. So these two kings we read about, they came up against Jerusalem and they conquered many cities as we read. 
But Jerusalem, God did not let them conquer. Despite the wickedness of the king, despite all that he did, despite his shutting up of the, of the doors of the temple, despite his cutting in pieces the ark and the furniture, despite him building altars all around Jerusalem, God did not allow Jerusalem to be taken at this time. And it wasn't because of King Ahaz, but it was in spite of King Ahaz. Because God still had a purpose. God wasn't done yet. Verse 2, it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of the people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved in the wind. It's like the palm trees. You can see those here, palm trees in Israel. The wind blowing, <laughs> blowing in the wind. Shaking, fearful. They hear the news. Again, as we read, the king is shaking and he's fearful and he's distressed. Instead of turning to the Lord because of the problems, he turns away from the Lord. Verse 3, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go meet Ahaz, you and your son, Sheriff Yezebub, which means the remnant will return. Very interesting name for a child. Especially since no one has been taken captive yet. Again, even the kings of Israel in the north, the tribes in the north, hadn't been taken captive yet. And it'll be hundreds of years before the Judah becomes captive, and yet God has Isaiah named his son this wonderful promise that don't worry, a remnant will return. And so he goes with his son, Isaiah goes with his son and say, God tells him to go with your son and say, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrand. Don't worry about the king of Israel. Don't worry about the king of Syria. So God sent a warning. Don't worry about that. Instead of King Ahaz heeding this warning and trusting in the Lord and praying to the Lord, he cries out to the king of Assyria. I am your son. I am your servant. Here, take the treasures. Take the gold. Take mine. Take the temple. Take the people. And he doesn't know. Many times in our lives, we've gone through distress, we've gone through heartache, we've gone through problems, we've gone through trials. Where have we put our trust? Where have we put our finances? Where have we put our energies? Have we drawn closer to God as a result? Have we become more faithful? Have we allowed God to search our hearts and try our ways and see if there be any wicked way in us that's causing the calamity? Have we prayed for him to give us a spirit and a gift of repentance that we may turn from our sins and turn closer to God? Or have we gone to the things of this world and the people of this world to try and bail us out and help us out? Yeshua met us a lady who had an infirmity for many years and says that she spent her, all her money on the gospel of the dead. And they could not help her. And she saw Yeshua and she believed and she goes and she touches the hem of his body. And she's healed in an instant. I'm not saying there's no purpose for doctors or 
employers or mechanics or, you know, you can pray over your car all you want, and that's good. You may need to take them to the mechanic also. <laughs> but let us not forget to pray. And let prayer be our first impulse. Let us go to the Lord first and lay our problems at his feet. And again, allow him to search our hearts and make sure there's nothing in us that would stop the prayer from being answered. That would stop God from being able to, to minister, stop God from being able to work. Because the Bible says he will not hear. The prayer is that there's sin on our hearts. There's sin on our record. Unconfessed. Rebellious sin held on to. He will not hear. He cannot hear. So we need to first allow God to cleanse us. He's provided the sacrifice. He's provided the Lamb of God. He's provided the Messiah. Allow him to cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, cleanse our motives, cleanse our records. Accept his Holy Spirit. If he show us any area in our life that we need to improve, that we need to do, anything lacking, anything that we're doing, anything we need to stop doing. Ask for his Spirit to give us the power and victory. And then also ask for wisdom, Lord, what should I do? Should I take it to the mechanic? What should I do, you know? Should I do it myself? Should I take it to a friend? Where should I go for the help? Or should I just trust you? That's a biblical way to do it. But here he doesn't go to the Lord. He just goes to the king of Syria. Who wasn't even serving the Lord. So he goes to the enemy of God for help. Syria and Ephraim have plotted evil against you, verse 5, in verse 6, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in the wall for ourselves and set a king over them. Verse 7, but thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. The mercy and love of God. God knows that King Ahaz is going to have these calamities happen and he's going to, in his distress and his knocking knees and his shaking heart, he's going to turn further away from the Lord. And in spite of that, God still sent Isaiah and his son to say, don't worry. They're going to come to attack you. But have no fear. It will not stand, nor shall it come to pass. God was not doing that because Ahaz was so good. God wasn't sparing Jerusalem and, and holding back the total winds of strife, the total trouble, because Ahaz was good. He did it in spite of Ahaz. Why would he do that? Why would God do that for Ahaz? Because he loved him. He still loved him. And he's still trying to get his attention. And in spite of the sins that we've committed, in spite of the rebellions that we've had in our hearts, in spite of the, the evil inclinations that we're born with, in spite of what evil others have done, God still loves them. And God still loves them. And God's wanting to change them. And God's wanting to change us. 
And not only is he wanting to, but he's able. He's powerful enough. His sacrifice is complete, and it's more than enough to wash away every sin, every desire for sin, every inclination to sin, and he's powerful enough to transform us and change us and change our minds and change our hearts to present us blameless in holiness before the Lord our God. What a God is. The love they had that night. He must love us as well. Are we willing to be Isaiah? To go to those who are rebelling against God, to go to those who are selling out to Assyria, to go to those who are turning further away from the Lord, to go to those who are trying to close up the doors and take God's beautiful artifacts and simple things and sell them out. Are we willing to go to them with God's word of mercy and love compassion and offer the gift of us? So Isaiah 7 verse 8 Within 65 years Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. Talking about Israel. If you will not believe, you shall not be established. Well, it's another way of saying that. If you will believe, you will be established. Now, he might say it this way in the negative because he knows King Ahaz will not believe and will not be established. But the promise is there. Either way, for us as well. If we do not believe, truly believe, I don't mean believe, oh yeah, I believe there's a God out there somewhere. Oh yeah, I say I believe in the Word of God. Oh yeah, I say I believe in the Bible. But to truly believe means then we believe that what the Bible says is right. And thus right for us. Right for me. Right for my life right for my lifestyle. That it, I believe the word of God says, do not do this, so then by God's grace I will not do this. I believe the word of God says to do this, so by God's power I will do that. That's what it means to believe. Not just believing in some faraway thing. Believing and allowing it to impact our personal lives. Believing that his sacrifice is complete and do not. Nothing we can do to add to it. And it washes us clean of all unrighteousness. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That he is able to keep us from falling. To believe that nothing is impossible for him. To believe that I can do all things 
through the Messiah that's sent into me. To believe that he will provide for all my needs according to his riches and glory. It's hard to believe that and to still worry at the same time. Maybe impossible to truly believe those promises. And be fearful and fretful. Believe and we can trust him that he will work all things out together for good to those who love him, those called according to his presence. This is what it means to believe. And if we will believe, we will be established. And we don't have to worry about the smoke and firebrand that will go out. We can trust in the Lord. Who's attacking you? Who's harassing you? What problems are you facing? What enemies are attacking you? Trust in the Lord. Believe in the Lord. And you shall be established. The Bible specifically says that. Believe in Him. Believe in His prophets. And you shall be established. Believe the Word of God. Trust in Him. One little promise, Isaiah comes in his mercy and his love. Again, Isaiah didn't have to come and speak to Jotham at all. <laughs> he might have gone and said hi to him, might have had breakfast again, I don't know. <laughs> but there's nothing worth writing. Because he was doing what was right in the sight. God in his mercy and his love sends the message to those who don't know him. So who should we be talking to? Should we be spending most of our time talking to ourselves? Or should we be going to those who need to hear it? Those who need to see it lived out. Those who need to see it demonstrated. That's what Isaiah did. That's what God told him. And he told him, take your son with you. Be a good example. Then verse 10. And the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depths or in the height above. <laughs> King Ahaz had nothing good to say in 2 Kingdoms and 2 Chronicles about this guy. Did evil in the sight of the Lord, he distressed, he got further away, failed, worshipped his, sacrificed his kids. And God comes and says, ask me a sign. Ask me anything. What do you want? Anything. Big, small, high, low. Ask anything. I can do it. Wow. What a God. like, you know, whatever, Bill Gates went up to someone who tried to destroy his company and take it down and sold all his intelligence and all his, you know, his patents and all like that and all ideas and sold it out and the guy goes, look, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. High, low, you ask it. Okay. God's much greater than that. And Ahaz was much worse than that. And God's asking, ask this time. I'll show you you can be established. I'll show you these two smoking firebrands won't be able to annihilate you. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I mean, I don't know if he thought he was being pious there or what, but, you know. I'm not going to ask for anything. 
is false humility. I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm not going to test God. How about us? Do we do that? We have not because we ask Him. Are we petitioning God or are we asking God? Are we praying to God? Much prayer, much power. Because I'm not going to ask. The Lord says, test me. And it's a Malachi, right? You bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Test me in this. And see if I will not pour out for you such a blessing you will not have room to receive it. Test me. And we say, oh, I'm not going to test you. I'm not going to return tithes. I don't want the blessing. That's okay. I won't have it. I'm not going to return to the full 10%. I'm not going to test you anymore. That's what King Ahaz said. Really, we're no different. If you think, oh, King Ahaz, he was so horrible. God says, test me. Believe my promises. Trust in me. Follow my commandments. They are the best for you. Test me. See if it's not right. Follow me wholeheartedly, all the way, 100%, radically, serving the Lord, dedicated to Him. Not partially. That's the most miserable place to be, is partially serving the Lord. 100%. Test Him in this. And he says, I'm not going to test Him. And there's many people in this world refusing to test God in the very areas He should test Him. Try me. Anything you want. I love. Yeah, I'm not going to ask. I'd rather go to the king of Syria. In spite of this, Isaiah said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the young woman, some translations have virgin, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Many people are familiar with this wonderful promise. But didn't realize this wonderful promise was given to King Ahab. It wasn't said to Moses, it wasn't said to Moses, it wasn't said to David. It said to King Ahab. Interesting how God does that. Emmanuel, God with us. Do not fear Ahab. You go into these idols, you go into these things. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, of the universe, self existent, omnipresent. All-powerful will be with you. How can you be afraid? How can you walk? How can you be lonely? God is with you. Emmanuel. 
God will give you a son. Behold, the young woman over there is Alma. The Hebrew Alma. Now, yes, it can be translated as young woman, but I mean, that's not much of a sign. A young woman's going to give birth to a son. <laughs> well, that happens every day, every minute. Not much of a sign. It's also translated at times and refers to as a virgin. It's context, young in the sense that she's not married, young. We see that in Genesis 24 with, uh, with Abraham looking for a son, a, a wife for Isaac. He sends his servant and he goes to the well and he's at the well and he prays for the young woman. And then he testifies this young woman is Alma, a virgin. And it specifically says that Rebecca had not known a man. She's a virgin. Obviously, that's what he's talking about, young in that sense. And so in context here, in obviously sense, it's being a miraculous birth. That's what he asked for. Ask for a sign, something big, something deep, whatever. Because I'm not going to ask, well, God says, well, I will show you the sign I will give you. I will send. I will come. I will come and dwell with you. I will come and tabernacle with you. I will come in the flesh. God will be with you. It's a child. You see another chapter in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, child shall be given unto you. Baby will be born. In a miraculous way. Through God with So that we can become established. So that we can believe. So that we can receive forgiveness of sin. So that we can have our hearts and minds changed. So that a way can be paved and paid for us to be able to go to heaven. That God would come close to us. That he would experience our suffering. That he would experience our trials. That he would experience our difficulties. He would know our joys. He would know our tears. He would know what it'd be like. Be tempted, harassed, hated. That he would know what it's like to have victory and to overcome, to be victorious in the face of trial and death. God is God. What a wonderful God. Yeah. What a wonderful God. The God who wants to be God has promised to be with us. So the question is, do we want to be with us? King Ahaz gave me. What about you and me? Do we want to be with God? Do we want to be with God more than the things of this world? Do we want God? Do we want Him complete? Are we willing to be His servants? To be His children? Instead of the servants and the children of a king of Assyria. Are we willing to surrender all to Him? And allow him to take us by the hand and walk us into his green path. 
the water besides the wheel. As we pray tonight, is any area of your life that King Ahaz is sounding familiar? Maybe you haven't been testing the Lord. Maybe you haven't been trusting the Lord. Maybe you haven't been believing the Lord. Maybe you've been going through some trials and tribulations and instead of taking them to the Lord, you've been taking them to the kings of Assyria, the kings of this world, the people of this world, the things of this world. Maybe you haven't felt God close at hand. Maybe you don't believe he is with you. Maybe you've been worried, not holding on to his promises, not believing, not becoming established in him, firm and strong and steadfast, able to stand against the temptations and wiles of the devil. Surrender to the Lord. Accept his promises, accept his love, accept his grace, accept his power, accept his mercy. Maybe you haven't been willing to be like Isaiah and Isaiah's son to go to those who are rejecting God, who are resisting God, who are turning further from God, who are corrupting the nation and our communities. We haven't been willing to go and give them the message of hope and give them the message of love. Give them the message of redemption. And show them the true God. And if that's been your issue, you can surrender that to God as you pray. Ask God to give you his grace and his strength and his power, his boldness to go forth, to do and to say what he would have you to do to whom he would have you go and say. And maybe some other aspect applies to you tonight as we pray together. Allow God to work his mighty power. Let us draw near to God. Let us resist the devil. Let us find victory in the Lord God Almighty. We pray together. Our Lord and God, King of the universe, Lord, we're so thankful for your mercy demonstrated and poured out even for King Ahaz. And your mercy and love poured out to us, sinners that we are, corrupt and carnal at heart. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for coming in the flesh. Thank you for being Emmanuel. Thank you for being God with us. Thank you for cleansing our hearts and our minds Thank you for cleansing our sin and our past. Thank you for delivering us and setting us free. Thank you for giving us your spirit and come and live inside us and be Emmanuel with us, be God with us and dwell in our flesh and speak through us. Give us love and boldness and mercy and grace. Give us victory and power. Work in us and through us before us, for your honor and for your glory, in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.